Welcome to The Find from the Montgomery Street Antique Mall in Fort Worth, Texas. Today's guest is Nick. He of Salami Man Comics on aisle nine, vendor number 9205. Welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be on your show today. And uh, what kind of things do you uh, deal out of aisle nine in the Salami Man Comics? Well, as as the name implies, a, a lot of what I uh, sell are comic books. Um, I have some other things too, like that. I have some uh, pictures and that you can hang on your wall, and uh, a couple of other things like mugs and magnets and stickers. But um, the most of my floor space is, is taken up by comic books. Okay. By how how big is your floor space? Oh, I don't even. Is it seventeen by six? Seventeen by eight? Yeah, it sounds right. It's pretty big. Yeah. And it's on the corner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have over 2,500 comic books there. 2,500? Yeah, we got them jammed in there pretty good. That's a lot. That's what makes them great to collect. They don't take up that much space. So you can have lots and lots of them. Wow, that is amazing. So how did you get started uh, in this business and collecting comics? Well, it started out when I was a kid. Um, my parents worked in real estate, so very often I'd find myself sitting in the back of a car for a couple of hours while they were having an open house or while they were taking people uh, out on, on showings. And so to entertain me, uh, they would uh, uh, buy me a comic book. And so I would read the comic book in the back of the car and then reread it and then probably read it a third time, fourth time, fifth time, then start trying to draw the, myself some of the pictures that were in the comic, and then um, maybe even writing into the people who sold the x-ray spectacles. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a business started out of sheer boredom. Exactly, yeah. Amazing. And uh, since then, I, I've collected uh, comic books up until a couple of years ago uh, when um, my spouse got a booth at the Antique Mall and then uh, suddenly she told me that I'd be selling comic books. And I was like, what? But I adapted to it uh, uh, kind of quickly. I, I scrambled and got together some comic books to sell. And uh, then I went out and I bought uh, some more comic books from people. And uh, now I've got lots and lots of comics to sell. Oh, by the way, the spouse is me. Yes, you're wonderful, dear. I'm uh, Nicolene of uh, Nicolene Studios, also in the Montgomery Street Antique Mall. And uh, we are a husband and wife team. And of course, he is my first guinea pig on this podcast. And uh, we are still married. Yeah, if you ever want to test your relationship, move a lot of furniture around. Or have to put furniture together. Yes, he helps me put and old. make sure it's old furniture. Yeah. With no instructions. Right. That will fall apart and the screws are all worn off. That will make your relationship strong. Carry a couple baggies with you to hold hardware pieces. Okay. That's a that's a really good tip to give the folks. Okay. So let's talk about comics. Yeah, lots. And how many are in your personal collection? Um, that's fluctuated a lot over the years. At one time, I, I counted them because I was pretty sure I had about 300, and I counted and I had 3,000. I think I, I whittled it down to maybe 1,500, but in recent years, it's sprouted back up again. So maybe 2,000, maybe. Two, in your personal collection? 
Yeah. So you have more at the mall in your booth. Oh, yeah. I have way more at the mall in my booth than I do here. Wow. But it it was because of moving. You you got rid of several. Yeah, I got right? I got rid of a bunch of them when I was moving and, and kept the ones that were most important to me. Like what were most important about that? Um, well, a couple of things. Ones that I've had since I was a kid are very important to me. Um, just because they remind me of my childhood. So they're you know, they're they're near and dear to me, even if they're not to someone else. And then I have some that uh, are more valuable. Like for a while in the 90s, I started collecting Batman. And uh, some of those have shot up in price to where I don't know how I'd replace them if I ever got rid of them. So I just just held on to them. Okay, so uh, have you sold any of your own personal collection? Um, Sometimes I do. Things that I don't think are appropriate for it, sometimes I've taken into the booth to sell off. Okay. A collection is a little bit like a garden. You have to keep pruning it and weeding it and adding in new things where they should go. I love it. just right. I love that. So you edit. Yeah, it's very important to to, uh, be organized and edit what you have. I like to keep things in in alphabetical order because if you can't find it, do you really have it? Um, I like to keep things stored properly so they don't get damaged. And and I like to have like a nice rounded selection of things. Okay. So uh, how long have you had your booth of comics? Well, I started as a as a corner of a booth in 2021, and I think I expanded out to having a, a a whole booth in 2022. So not real long, maybe a little bit over a year. Okay. Yeah. Um. As I remember it, you had a lot of repeat customers and um, they kept coming back and coming back. We started with uh, three half boxes. And how much does a half box hold? Um, I think 150 to 200 comics, maybe. Okay. Maybe about 150. So we started with roughly 450 comics. Mm -hmm. And my stuff wasn't going. And then because we shared the booth. And then I realized, whoa, this could be a thing because you're just your customers uh, loved what you had out. And then when you would come and, you know, with your knowledge and talk to talk to the customers. Right. Yeah. It's fun to talk to other people and and see what they're collecting, what they're interested in. Yeah. Okay, so um, we went over how you got started in the business. So. Let's talk about your finds, okay? Because I know, Nick, uh, you have a lot of extensive knowledge mm-hmm. um, in this, a lifetime's worth of knowledge, which is so fantastic about being at the mall, at the Montgomery Street Antique Mall, because there are over 240 vendors and the stories and the backgrounds of all these um, dealers are just, like, incredible. So, um it's a good place to find things. Right, right. So uh, let's talk about um, your uh, a pass find that you added to your will house. Um, how did you uh, find it? Uh, was it just out of the blue or did it just appear to you? And if you want to add to that. Sure. Uh, for example, in, in 1979, uh, I went I went to a convenience store and I looked at the comic rack and uh, I found the first issue of a comic book called Rom Space Night. 
Oh, ladies and gentlemen, he still, he has it right here. Yeah, I've had this since 1979. Um, yeah, on it, it said it was the fabulous first issue. And it had a picture of the character in the front, and it was uh, number one. And I thought, well, time to try something new. So I and I bought it, and I've had it ever since. Okay, I just uh, want to interrupt here. Um, I just want to remind everyone that I will be uh, posting pictures on our blog, and it's thefindpodcast.blogspot.com. That's thefindpodcast.blogspot.com that you can find all these pictures because it's very hard because we are talking about visual things and not showing them to you. Um, but you can find everything um, and the episodes on there. So this is your past find, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So what was special? Rom, Rom Space Night. And how old were you? Uh, I would have been 11. 11. Yeah. Was this a TV show? No, it was based on a toy. Uh, Parker Brothers decided that they would come out with like this robot toy I don't know how that fit in with their other business of Monopoly and Clue and other games, but they made this robot toy and they convinced Marvel comic books that they Marvel should make a, a comic book out of it. And so they did. Who who did the cover? Oh, uh, actually, I don't know who did the cover on this one. You don't know? You don't know something? <laughs> I probably did it one. I probably did it one time and I, I kind of forgot. Okay. So who wrote it? Uh, I think think a writer named uh, Bill Mantlow wrote it. Okay. Did he do, how many, um, was Rom Space Night, was that a very popular one in the 70s? I mean, how how long did this series last? Um, it went on into the mid-1980s, and the comic book was more popular than the toy. They stopped making the toy fairly quickly, and the comic book just went on for many, many years. Did you collect the toy? No, I didn't get the toy. I think that was the problem. I think people are more interested in the story than they were in the toy. <laughs> okay. So the toy failed and the comic book just kept sailing on. Oh, that's always good. So the, the toy ran, ran out of steam, huh? Yeah. Okay. So do you have the entire like series of the ROM Space Night or is this just a one one off for you? Um, In a way, it was kind of a one off for me. I did buy a couple of the later issues of it. Um, but I didn't think it was all that interesting. It's become an odd collector's item now because it was a, a licensed um, comic. Um, for a long time, they, they couldn't reprint it. And they recently did something where they finally could reprint it. And so they just this month at the comic shops, they came out with a replica of this uh, very first issue that, uh, that duplicates it exactly. Oh, okay. And um, why is this... A past find of yours. Why? Why this? Um, it's because it's when I was buying things new. I mean, I, I would buy them very cheaply. This was forty cents, and uh, it's worth it's worth a lot more now. Um, I think right now it's worth about fifteen dollars in the condition it's in. Okay, so let's talk about condition. Um, is that important when you sell your comics? The condition of an item. Yes, it's extremely important. Um, the closer something is to looking like it did when it came fresh off the presses is much more valuable 
than something that's uh, all beat up, has the cover partly torn off, has brown, brittle paper. The condition is key to the value of a comic book. It can make a difference of hundreds of dollars in some cases, maybe even thousands of dollars in others. Okay, so what is the condition of your past find of ROM? Well, since I got it as a kid before I really knew about protecting things, I, w- I would say this is, is probably uh, in very good, fine condition, maybe a, on a scale of 1 to 10 of 5.0. Okay. 5, 5.0. Okay. Uh-huh. So um, let's let's move on. Okay. We're going to talk about your present find. Present find. Okay. Probably the most important item right now to you. You're in your wheelhouse, your present find in your collection. Okay. Um, I like to uh, collect things that are by uh, Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby is a one of the most famous, if not the most famous, comic book artist. Uh, and uh, he worked for Marvel Comics, where he created uh, the look of most of their characters that they have from the 1960s. Um, so the Fantastic Four, the Silver Surfer. Ooh, Silver Surfer. Yeah, he, he was really the creator of the Silver Surfer. The, the guy who wrote the Fantastic Four comic book, Stanley, said he got a bunch of pages in from Jack one day, and there's this guy floating around in them on a, on a surfboard, and he didn't know what that was. And, uh, and, and Jack explained it to him. That was the beginning of the Silver Surfer. It was just something that kind of sprouted out of his head once when he was drawing the comic book. Okay. And and what is your present find? Um, my present find is a comic book from the 1970s uh, that he he drew. Uh, he, he was working for DC at the time, and he took over an existing comic book, uh, let's see, called Our Fighting Forces, which was a, uh, a World War II uh, war comic. And uh, in it, um, he drew this bizarre story about how a group of soldiers called the Losers uh, won a particular battle that they're in um, by using a comic book. So it was, it was kind of meta because the characters are talking about using a comic book when they're actually in a comic book themselves. That is fascinating. So that's, yeah, I thought it was. I, I like that sort of thing. So... Again, folks, you're going to find these on thefindpodcasts.blogspot.com. And uh, the cover is really amazing. So, okay, so one theme between your past and your present find that I'm hearing is 1970s. So do you think that's your expertise from your childhood, the 1970s? I would sort of say so. That's when I was a kid. Um, that's when I started out reading comic books. Um, I also know a lot of that. I was an avid reader of them in the early 80s as well. Um, so I know a lot about those areas. And, and I like the hobby. So I know some things um, about comics that happened in the past, like the 30s, 40s, 50s. Okay. And who did you go over? Who wrote, did the cover on this one? Uh, the cover of, of that particular war comic was done by Jack Kirby. Uh, he also uh, was writing his own stories at that time because he got tired of working with writers and just drew whatever he wanted and then figured out what people were saying later. Okay. So he, he was, sponsor, was responsible really for the writing at that point, too. And what is the premise of this, uh, st- of this comic? 
of this particular comic? Yes, in this particular issue. Um, in this uh, particular issue, uh, the Nazis uh, have a, a new uh, weapon they've come out come up with. It's a, a, a giant cannon called uh, uh, Big Max. And uh, the losers uh, figure out a way to uh, fool the Nazis by using a comic book story about a super weapon of their own. And uh, and they, they use it to convince the Nazis that this uh, fake super weapon is real. And then in the process, they're able to sneak in there and, and disable the, the Big Max cannon. Cool. The cover, the cover looks really interesting. Can you tell yeah. what it says on the cover? What does it say in the cover? Uh, on the cover, uh, let's see, they're asking, how can we stop that giant cannon, Big Max? And, uh, and uh, uh, Lieutenant Johnny Cloud uh, says, uh, with this secret weapon, uh, this comic book, and he's holding up a comic book uh, with a, a picture of like a, some sort of super tank weapon on the front. Oh, that's really cool. Who's the guy in the front? There's a guy in the front with like a green hat with spikes on top of it with a look of fear in his face. Who is that person? Yeah, that was this uh, little nerdy guy that they enlisted to uh, pretend that he was the main character in the comic book. So they had to dress him up so he looked like the character in the comic book. In order to fool the Nazis. Oh, and he, did he? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Now, how long did this series go on for? Um, well, the series went on for a, a very long time. Um, well, uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. It went on for about 10 years. So from about 1968 to about 1978, um, when it got canceled in an event called the DC Implosion, where DC Comics was forced to cancel one-third of all of their comics titles. One-third? Why one-third? Um, I, I don't know. They had just undergone a major expansion, and their bosses at Warner Brothers got really nervous about it. And so they told the publisher that she had to cancel like one-third of all of the comics they were putting out. Wow. That is a lot. Yeah, they yeah they had to that they even came up with a uh, a comic book they published at the time. It's one of the rarest comic books of all. It's called Cancelled Comics Cavalcade, where they essentially took photo stats of all the comics they had canceled and stapled them together in these huge books, which they published for copyright purposes to preserve the copyrights on all the material. If you ever find one of those, those are worth a lot of money. Like what is a lot of money? How much? Oh, they're worth, well, they're probably worth thousands, but I, I would say that they're priceless because there's only, like, I don't know, about 10, 12 of them in existence. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about something in with comics. This brings up a question for me, uh, grading. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, how do you go about that? Um, well, probably the best way to do it is to get a, a, a book called the Overstreet Grading Guide. But can you send them in somewhere? Yes. To get professionally yes, graded? Yes, you can have comics professionally graded. Do you know a, of a company? Yeah, there's a company called uh, Comics uh, Guarantee Corporation, um, CGC, and uh, they were the pioneers in, in comic book grading. And uh, there's a couple of other companies now that have copycatted that and do it too, but they were the first to do it. And if you send in the your comics to them, they will uh, give you a professional grade on a scale of one to 10 as to what they think the condition of the book is. And then they'll also seal the book into a protective plastic holder. 
Um, and as long as that holder is sealed, then whoever you would sell it to would know that that comic book is in that particular grade. So uh, how long does that process usually take? Um, it it takes quite a while. It usually varies. Um, it, it depends on, you can pay to have them speed it up too. I don't know if that's worth it. Um, usually, I mean, it takes maybe a month or two to get them graded. Okay. So um, do you, the ones that you sell at the mall, are they graded? No. All of the ones that I sell at the mall are raw. What's raw? That <laughs> That's a term that means that it hasn't, been, it hasn't been graded uh, by a third-party grading company. So um, people in the hobby, if it hasn't been graded by a third party, they call the comic books uh, raw. And uh, then it's, it's really up to your own judgment as to what the condition of it is. Um, but yeah, you can have any comic you want, I mean, professionally graded. Um, with some comics, it's not worth it. I mean, it, it, it costs money to have them graded, so it has to be of a certain value in order to be even worthwhile to, to get it graded. Okay, so what do you, you know, when your customers come and they ask for your advice or they tell you what they're collecting, what is the thing that is so under, um, how do I say this, that is so uh, everyone asks for, they think it's worth a lot, but it's really not worth that much. Um, something that, that people ask for a, a lot that they think is worth a lot. Right, right. Well, some things that they, they do ask for, I mean, are, are things that, that are worth a lot of money. Um, uh, the, what, uh, if you, there are some things that, that people have that sometimes they think are worth a lot. Like if you have, uh, just because something's old, it doesn't mean it's valuable necessarily. So sometimes you see people, you know, they come in with a bunch of, uh, beat up old jug heads and, and they're not worth a lot, but, you know, because they're, they're completely beat up. I mean, the covers are ripped and the paper's brown and it's brittle and falling apart. And, uh, and there's not that many Jughead collectors. So those, those probably aren't, aren't worth a, a, a ton of money. Um, what is probably worth a ton of money are, are things like, uh, Marvel comics from the 1960s. Um, and, and a lot of, uh, selected issues of things from the 1970s and even into the 1980s, anything that is a first appearance of a character, if it's that character's first appearance, usually that's something that's going to be valuable. And if it's in the better condition it's in, I mean, the more money that it's worth. Okay. So I go to a lot of estate sales and, uh, they have comic there and they're just like $25 or $30. And I'm like, what is the, what is going on here? Have you experienced that in your search for comics? Um, yes, I have. I, I think most collector uh, com collectors of comic books have. Um, let's say it, it's uh, sometimes referred to as a, a crazy grandma pricing. <laughs> let's see, grandma found some old comic books, and since some old comic books are valuable, the ones that she found in the attic must be incredibly valuable. And so they all get marked up to $25, $30. I, I, would, I would avoid that um, unless it's, it's something that's really obviously valuable. Um, I mean, some things you can look for to detect if a comic is old or not, or is this the price? Something that's $0.10, cents, $0.12, cents, that's going to be pretty old. That's from, the, that's from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. 
Um, so those things, let's say, can be valuable. Uh, things that are very popular characters are, are valuable as well. Um, so like a, a Superman comic from the 1950s probably will be more valuable than like a Gabby Hayes Western. Okay, got it. So it's really like, is it the the generation that is, you know, coming up and collecting these comics, what are they looking for? Um, they're looking for the very popular characters, uh, characters that are in um, the movies or uh, TV shows. Um, they're very interested in, in getting um, the back issues of those characters and getting their stories. So the 90s? Or even in the 2000s. The 2000s? Um, I was, uh, yes, uh, in my booth this weekend, um, there was uh, a woman who came up to me and she wanted uh, the first appearances of the Winter Soldier character. And uh, I had some of those comic books uh, for her. Um, and those comic books, I think, are actually from the early 2000s. Okay, so everybody, everybody's going into early, early 2000s. I always hear about a cutoff of um, when lithograph, uh, just, just like so many issues out there that it's just very plentiful. And what, what year was that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, maybe vaguely. In the very early 90s, uh, there was uh, what some people think of as a, a comic book glut. So we are... We're talking about uh, the lithographs, uh, the way they changed printing comics in the 90s, I, I think. Um, well, what they had changed about um, comic books in the uh, early 90s is that they were printing more and more of them. Um, people were really getting into collecting comic books, and they were really catering to a collector's market at that time. And in several instances, they uh, overprinted comics or resorted to uh, things like cover gimmicks, uh, polybagging them with collector's cards, and other tricks to get people to buy more copies of the same comic book. Um, two examples from the uh, early 90s uh, would be X-Men number one and uh, Spider-Man number one. Um, these were already pre-existing um, comic books that Marvel Comics had, but they decided to take advantage of the collector's craze by starting out new series that started out with a number one because people wanted to collect number one comics. And so some of these, like X-Men number one, had something like eight million copies printed and people bought four or five copies of the same comic. So there's plenty of them out there for everybody. And as a consequence, they're not really all that valuable. But are people still looking for them? Yes. Um, the interesting thing is, for a long time, there was a bias against 90s comics that had been uh, printed during this uh, glut, really. But now that uh, people who are children in the 90s are growing into adulthood, they are starting to be interested in, in collecting some of these comics again. So they have slowly started to become more valuable once again. So we're talking Generation Z uh, might be looking for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that brings us um, into your future find. What are you going to add? What do you want to add to your collection, to to your wheelhouse? What is your ultimate goal of finding <laughs> in the future? Well, for my personal collection, what I'd like to do is I would like to complete uh getting all of the comics that Jack Kirby worked on in the 1970s. 
Um, so he did a lot of uh, short runs on some very interesting and weird comic books uh, in the 1970s. And I've slowly have been filling in the gaps uh, to collect all of those. So um, some series like OMAC and The Eternals and Machine Man, um, I've slowly been uh, getting most of those. Any particular one comic that would be your ultimate find in the future? Um, if I could find it somewhere at a reasonable price, it would be Machine Man number one. Machine Man number one. Okay. Yeah. And what was that about? Uh, that was a comic book from the 70s that was set in the 2020s, way in the future. And uh, and it was about, uh, let's say, a uh, really a, a, uh, a robot who had become sentient. Cool. Again, everyone, let me remind you that you can find these at um, the findpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can go and see. Uh, we'll try and get some of these um, images up for you. Oh, uh, Nick just handed me a Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, Blood Bond comic. Um, still only 35 cents. What year is this from? Uh, that would have to be from 1978. Cool. All right. Well, um, Nick, thank you very much for being on The Find uh, today. Um, you can find Nick's uh, booth, Salami Man Comics, on aisle nine at the Montgomery Street Antique Mall in Fort Worth, Texas. We're uh, located in the Cultural District right next to Dickey's Arena um, off of Highway 30, Interstate 30 in Fort Worth. Um, Nick, it has been amazing. I, you, your, your knowledge of comics is just so vast. And I hope anyone can uh, just go and find him there. When are you, when, when are you in your booth? Well, most often I'm there on weekends, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays. Okay. So, and the hours of the mall are uh, 10 to 6, Monday through Saturday. And Sunday, they're open from noon to six and uh, they have a fabulous uh, tea room and you could spend the whole day there and there are so many things to, to see and you can uh, hopefully see Salami Man Nick there. Thanks again, Nick. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And that concludes our first episode of The Find. Again, we have thefindpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can learn about more episodes. My name is Nicolene Bartley. I am this fine man's wife for 30, for the last 30 years. And um, I am also a vendor at the Montgomery Street Antique Mall on aisle nine, uh, vendor number 9205. I thank you for joining us today and tune in to future podcasts um, about other dealers there. It's just going to get better and better. Um, everyone and uh, the interesting interesting stories that you'll find thank you and we'll see you